We have to stop Ronan. How? I have a plan. You've got a plan. Yes. First of all, you're copying me from when I said I had a plan. No, I'm not. People say that all the time. It's not that unique of a thing to say. Secondly, I don't even believe you have a plan. I have part of a plan. What percentage of a plan do you have? You don't get to ask questions after the nonsense you pulled on nowhere. I just saved Quill. We've already established that you destroying the ship that I'm on is not saving me. When did we establish? Like three seconds ago! No, I wasn't listening. I was thinking of something else. Oh. She's right. You don't get an opinion. What percentage? I don't know. 12%. 12%? It's <laughs> a fake laugh. It's real. Totally fake. That is the most real, authentic, hysterical laugh of my entire life because that is not a plan. Do you expect me to talk? Oh dear, expect us to talk. I'm your host, Becca, and as always, joined by my fellow Ravagers, Chris and Dave. How are you both? Good evening, thanks. I am Groot. <laughs> language? You're a language, young man. We are Groot. I speak Groot, and that was filth. <laughs> <laughs> but can you dance? I am Groot. Yeah. That's all he's going to say throughout the... I haven't heard that sort of language about Norman Lamont since uh, <laughs> <laughs> since uh, Michael Barrow at the Comedy Awards a few years ago. No, but there wasn't that Julian Clary. Uh, no, yeah, uh, Julian Clary said it, and then uh, Michael Barrymore later did a mime to represent <laughs> oh, it. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> <God>. Okay. <laughs> Cringe. Mm. Fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so Bill Cosby last week, this week Michael Paramore. Anyway, on we go. Oh dear. Anyway, as if you haven't guessed, this time we are getting around to reviewing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Starring Chris Pratt, Vin Diesel, Zoe Saldana, Bradley Cooper, Dave Bautista, Karen Gillan, Glenn Close, Vinicio Del Toro and many more. Score by Tyler Bates, the script by James Gunn and Nicole Perlman, and also directed by James Gunn, and released in 2014. You said that really surprised you. Oh, it's even directed by James Ooh. Gunn. <laughs> he, he had a go at doing that. As well. I didn't, as well. I didn't mean to. So I know he directed it, and I didn't. It just came out like that because it's. I'm Rob Burgundy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yourself, San Diego. Do you know what? We recorded our Winter Soldier um, podcast and then we finished it and I listened to it back and my sound settings were all wrong. We'd forgotten our format and we're chatting offline going, Christ, there was some ring rust there, wasn't there? And then we went and did like Creed and it was like, oh, we're back. We've remembered how to do it. That sounds great. Um, bit, bit, a bit of a false dawn, that, wasn't it? <laughs> we got there in the end. So, But yeah, no, blame me and my lack of interwebs for, uh, for the hiatus there. Um, but thanks for bearing with us. Yeah, we're all over it now. Don't worry about that. Yeah. Um, there wasn't this. This film was um, interesting in build-up because I just don't think anyone could believe that they were like going for this. The knowledge of this intellectual property wasn't very broad across the population, was it? No, but I think at this point, Marvel had built 
had like enough success to go in at conference. Maybe when they greenlit it, it was still a bit of a of a should we say risk? But I think by the time it was due out, you already had like you know Avengers. Um, you know, Thor, Thor did well. Uh, Winter Soldier did really well. I think. You know, I I don't think there was much to go wrong here. I mean, what, what I kept thinking was it was all it was a it was a decent enough amount of risk because if this completely fails, you can just move on and just I uh, and just not do another one. It was it it wasn't like uh oh this is gonna tank the franchise because I think there's there's enough wiggle room you can go like oh okay we can just sort of maneuver around that and then carry on uh if you know what I mean. So I was never really that concerned. Yeah, even if you look at the plot of this film, the Infinity Stone that is represented in this film is the Power Stone, and I believe that's the one Thanos has either already. I think that's the one he's already got. Yeah. At the start of the film, so at the start of Infinity War, so in some respects, if you'd never followed this up, he could have just gone and got that before the event. So yeah, I suppose. But it, it just, I just thought there was an element of not trolling, but just a complete lack of fear that they go, what should we do next? Guardians of the Galaxy. And and then, they, who should we cast in it? How about that fat bloke from <laughs> that TV show? Who else? A wrestler? <laughs> it does seem a bit like thrown together, doesn't it? Well, let's have some strong side characters then. Okay, what should we get? Vin Diesel. Who, who will he play? The lady from Star Trek. A tree. <laughs> you know? Um... Quite a lot of risk in this, and and we must have Henry portrait of serial killer in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big risk for sure. And, 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 and the guy that made that really, really oh, like weird kickass rip off. Well, not rip off because it was made before kickass, but do, do you know what I mean? Like sort of really did those really obscure, like crazy, gory horror films. <laughs> Let, yeah, let's get him to do it. Yeah, I mean the the first thing he cut was uh, the first thing he wrote was Scooby Doo, the two thousand and two. It's Sarah Michelle Gellar, wasn't it? Uh, I film. And did not sequel. know that. I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, no, I was reading on him today. I was like, what's, what's, what's he done? Because I wanted to see what have I seen. Because a friend of mine used to talk about Slither quite a lot. He said, oh, I was really confident for Guardians because I really liked Slither. Mm. And I haven't seen Slither. So I thought, well, what else has he written? What might have I seen? And he'd written the two Scooby-Doo films. And... Um, uh, yeah, and Super, and there were a couple of other things as well, but those, those are the things that sort of stuck out to me. So yeah, Super, which was kind of like a a homemade sort of superhero, you know, a super, a super, somebody trying to be sort of a homemade version of a superhero three or yeah. four years before Kick-Ass came along, yeah. But uh, Marvel, in terms of the casting and the choices, they always tend to sort of pick not necessarily like the most well-established people, because they are usually well within the budgets, uh, they you know they don't go for like highest grossing stars or say so, so they would like get like a Chris Pratt and they say well there's potential there so yeah okay he's chubby but we can get him in shape but he has a, like a a natural comedic like ability to him I'm only talking on paper Chris oh, Pratt yeah. is not a problem at all is he oh yeah no um, but because he ended up losing more weight for the film so I think you know they asked him to drop fifty and he lost sixty so. Yeah, but but anyway, no, I think you know he's like he's like the the everyman, shall we say? Yeah, but it's it's kind of like the the you, know, you look at the characters and you think, okay, well, what do we need and what will work well? Um, so, well, but the idea of doing it in space is kind of like um, it's doing like a space. It makes it makes sense because when you have like an up and coming villain like Thanos and the Infinity Stones, it makes sense to kind of like have 
a series or a film that's set in that universe just beforehand, just to get a bit more cohesive sort of feel, so it doesn't feel as jarring. Where and if his plan is going to be to wipe out half of the universe, yeah, uh, putting everything around North America might be a bit. Yeah, well, let's introduce <laughs> we universe. Yeah, you know, you know. Uh, but yeah, I knew nothing about James Gunn. I had to sort of. I mean, I, I, I'd heard of Trobe with Juliet, but not seen it. I'd heard of Slither, but not seen it. Um, I know he wrote the two Scooby-Doo films, which, again, I don't think I ever saw because, well, why would I particularly? I don't know if they're good. I don't know if they're, like, fun and subversive or whether they are just pretty lame family films. I've no idea at all. I, I didn't know either. He was married to... He had been married to Jenna Fisher from the American version of The Office, Pam, who was the equivalent of Dawn in the British version, who ended up with John Krasinski's character, Jim. So, yeah, reading up on this guy, I wasn't reading anything that I uh, recognised. I, I knew so little about him. We all know a bit more now, yeah. but, but there you go. Yeah, he was still, like, relatively newish, kind of exciting. I, I, I suppose, like, say, like, you know, film nerds or, you know, film Twitter would be kind of well, well-versed about who he was because of films like Sliver but, um, and Super. But, yeah, so... so for that, it might be all oh, this is like excitement for the average cinema goer. No one's going to know. Uh, yeah, but then I I don't think the average. I mean, even cinema goers that have some interest in yeah. the mechanics of film, the directors are not the above the line thing, are they? Mm, with Marvel, no. um, it, it, and the, you know they've gone through. It, you know, Joss Whedon to a degree because he kind of seemed to be almost a creative voice for the entire series through sort of um, phase two. I think the Russos are obviously um, bigger than most of what they've had by now in terms of the amount of um, creative input they probably have. But Marvel, the, the cinematic universe, belongs to Kevin Feige and his associates. So in some respects, it wouldn't have bothered me either way. You know, they said, oh, James Gunn's going to do that. Who's that? I probably looked him up at the time. Some of the things I've said today that like I've looked up, I, I probably have forgotten that I read three or four years ago. Mm. But, you know, I would have looked him up and gone, yeah, whatever. Uh, particularly after the Winter Soldier, because do remember, of course, that um, they were best known for You, Me and Dupree, which was not only a comedy, but a really poor comedy as well. So by now, I think we were getting to the point where it was trusting Marvel. You know, yeah. it, when they when they pick someone, you go, I'm not sure about that. And you go, well, the Russo's fair enough. Um, and there is there's so much in this film that, is, I think, director-led. There are so many things you could strip out because they're just stylistic choices. The whole awesome mix stuff and slight 80s vibe to it and that probably would not have been there with another director. Again, we are not re we don't read the comics, so maybe that is a, a, a sort of point in them. I don't know. Um, certainly, it, uh, if we take the current timeline, I imagine that character was taken from Earth around the same time, but... Yeah, the whole, you know, the film opens with 10cc. Yeah. I'm not in love, which is just not something you would ever expect to hear. I think this episode might start with it as well. I don't know, it's ages <laughs> since I cut the intro. The funny thing is, when we're recording these listeners, uh, the bit at the very start of the show, you, you hear before us. <laughs> we're recording this before we go to edit it and find out what the hell I cut together like months ago. But yeah, I think it's 10cc. Sometimes it's what YouTube allows, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah, that's the other thing. YouTube didn't do yeah. Some of our earlier episodes, I started cutting out the intros, but I, I put them through now. We normally get a little 
heads up warning, which is just a we're not going to affect you, your standing, and we're not going to block it. But that is copyrighted. And then the worst she gets, like a an advert on the side. It's not too much of a problem. But yeah, yeah, all of those sort of stylistic things that came with the film, you you do feel the director's stamp on him. And I, I really don't want to go into the whole um, Twitter thing, but everything about James Gunn has a hint of sort of subversion and left field thinking to it. And so it doesn't actually surprise me that... Um, and he and he, he did have some sort of musical background himself as well, so I would imagine music would be important to him when he goes to put the film together. Plus, yeah. he was born in the sixties, so he would have been his in his teens in the eighties. So a lot of that music probably did speak to him anyhow. Well, a lot of it is kind of uh, is more seventies esque, isn't it? I was just about to say that. Actually. Yeah, so it was seventies and eighties. Yes, actually, you're probably right. Ten CC is for a start. So yeah. But yes, as a as a young child, a lot of this music was still coming out. It, but yeah, music from around the time he was about eleven or twelve, then maybe. Yeah, but sort of. Like, so I think it's it's kind of that weird kind of music you listen to if you were a kid in the eighties, feeling a bit nostalgic. Yeah, it's not even. I, I find that now the, the music you listen to. I'm not the most nostalgic person in the world, but we were just talking about a bit. I won't go into what it was, but we were talking before we were recording about something I watched today out of pure nostalgia. And when I listen to music from those eras, it isn't always the music I liked at the time. Mm. It's the music that defines the era. So you do find that as well. That like I didn't particularly like Oasis at the time, but if I want reminding of the mid '90s they are that era yeah so yeah so yeah there's some of that to it um yeah so i mean in terms of um production i mean there was the taps were being turned on this had a sort of budget around the 200 million mark but you know james gunn wrote it they they, they seem to give quite a lot of leverage to one man here which is brave given what this is unless they were genuinely well, we think all our films are going to do like three times that budget now, so we'll take a risk. Could be. I think also when you have like a film that's a bit out there as well, you're a bit more like, oh, well, it's like, it's like I said, it's like, well, if it doesn't work, then you can go, all right, well, we'll just move on. But mm. um, with a film that, that's a bit out there, it's probably worth, okay, well, fuck it, we might as well just go all in. Let's trust the guy. Just, you know, let's just like, you know, we won't sort of micromanage too much. We'll just sort of go, well, okay, well, you know. Yeah. It seems to work, so whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm trying to look at when... Um, yeah, I mean, it was first mentioned... This is Wikipedia, so anyone listening could pick this up quite easily. It was first mentioned as a potential film at 2000, in the 2010 at the San Diego Comic-Con by Feige. I suspect that might have been the um, Avengers panel. So, yeah. obviously, there was would have been conversations of, you know, this is the end of Phase 1, where might you go next? Um... So I suppose in some respects it's luck that this came out in 2014 as opposed to 15 or 16 or cramming it out in time for 13. But it did leave um, 2014 a very distinctive year with two very different films in Marvel's history yeah. and probably I would suggest their best year so far. It's probably arguably two of, the, two of their best films, isn't it, when, uh, in that same year? Yeah, I'd probably agree with that for sure. Definitely yeah. a standout year for them. I mean, it's definitely top tier, isn't it? I think if you look at like the the the, the current rankings, it, it these two are are consistently top ten. Yeah, it'll rank quite highly for me. Yeah, 
if not top five or something. I, I, I don't know. Don't know. For sure. Of, yeah. Uh, um, I'm just going to look at my rankings just quickly to see if I agree with that currently. Hang on a minute. Let's just see where I've got it. I'm not going to reveal it, but I'm just going to see. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 fairly up there. Yes. I, I it, it's it's funny because people did gravitate much more from one to the other. I think you'd be hard pushed to find people at the time who like Marvel that didn't hugely enjoy both. Yeah. And think they were top tier, but there there was a sort of strong divide whether over whether people preferred this or Winter Soldier of the two released this year. I mean, I don't know if we all have, but I've certainly got a friend on Facebook who went to see this twenty two times. I th- I I believe <laughs> I went and saw. Is 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 it the same person we're thinking of? Yeah, and he yeah. got he got like presented with like a home copy of it. And, <laughs> yeah. Upper, I think Cineworld presented him a copy, and I think yeah, I think I, we know who that I'll, is. I'll be I'll be honest. I think that was my fault as well because he saw it what, so many. <laughs> yeah, he saw it. Well, yeah. that, well, well, he saw it so many times. I think he saw it to me like thirteen times or or something like that. He just saw it like, <laughs> and I just went, "Well, why don't you go twenty? He was like, "All right, fuck cool, it, yeah." <laughs> so, so Chris, that's your fault. And and I'll, and a bit late, I was there when he saw it on that. Twentieth uh, time or whatever it was, uh, I actually sort of joined him for that. So, <laughs> so he sat and watched. So yeah, <laughs> I just I I don't know. I mean, I'm as keen on film as anyone, but there are very few films that I could watch would want to watch that many times in that truncated a period. I mean, I've got another friend who went and saw Deadpool a similar number of times. Deadpool two, actually, one of the writers that set the tape. So uh, yeah, he went to see it. I don't know if he saw it theatrically 30 times, but he's seen it upwards of 30 times now. And I'm thinking, I I struggled through it once after the first one. <laughs> you know, I like I like Deadpool, but like the joke was done and dusted by the time we got to a sequel. I, I can't imagine sitting and finding anything in that 30 times. Well, it's, it almost ruins it a little bit when you try and watch something over and over again. Um it kind of makes it a bit tight, regardless of what, how good it is, how good a film can be. You still get a bit tired of it, but um, yeah. some people can, you know. I, I, you I, know. There are films I've seen that many times in my life, but not in like mm. ten weeks or something. Yeah. But there you go. So yeah, Guardians really did sort of attract an awful lot of uh, devotion, love. People really, really enjoyed it. Um, for me, as a first watch, I just, I really, really enjoyed it. This, this might be the most pure fun film of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, and when it when it is actually having to do the heavy lifting of some of the Infinity Stones and setting up a, a universe, it's brave. Uh, from the very first scene, we, you know, I, I, there were a lot of, um, there were a lot of uh, allusions to it being potentially like a new Star Wars. Um, in the, we've had that for years until Star Wars came yeah. back. You know, you had it with Harry Potter, you had it with Tolkien, and it was just like that mixture of fun and fantasy and good casting. And there is a little bit of, um, there is a little bit of sort of Harrison Ford about Chris Pratt. There is. They're not exactly the same. He's a lot goofier than Harrison Ford, but there are some similarities. The opening sequence has a little bit of Raiders about it. Yeah. Um, certainly in what it's trying to do. Plus, also, you think about the O.R.K. team as well. You have like, uh, you've you've kind of got a, I'm not sensing a princess but basically sort of like a headstrong kind of you know, female, female co-lead you've got like a, 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 a wide-eyed you know he's kind of childish but he is like a youngish kind of 
uh, guy seeking adventure. You have like a rapscallion and his big fur, furry or tree friend. It's it's the them kind of stereotypes just jingled about a little bit. You can kind of yeah, see... and also the, the also the he's you know just the making it up as you're going along. Yeah, you know, and the uh, I mean it. The, the, it repeats the learning, it, it repeats learning to bit. trust each other, kind of thing. You know, it's like you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, I just went through it. We were introduced to a talking raccoon, which on the big screen wasn't the best CG I've ever seen. It was, it was decent. It's it's not that it's really bad, but it isn't as refined as some you would see. And I just I just thought this was incredibly brave all the way through, and it just it had me, you know. And, and it, it it took the chance to do some heavy lifting. We knew Thanos was going to be a thing, and he's in this. Introduced us to some new concepts like the Kree, which obviously we're going to see again in Captain Marvel in a few months' time. Uh, they did get some names. I know they're not the biggest spenders in the world, but you know Bradley Cooper is the voice of Rocket <laughs> and, and stuff like that, which to this day I don't really recognise as his voice. No, I think um, that's where you are really embedding himself into the role. Yeah, you, you can't even you look at um, look at his uh, yeah. Cooper's filmography and you think, oh yeah, he was Rocket Raccoon, yeah. and you know John C. Riley in a relatively small role, Glenn Close. <laughs> Peter, Peter Serafinowicz. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. His name I still can't pronounce. Apologies. But yeah, Glenn Close. I know, like, like... Yeah, why, why is it we every single time you <laughs> pronounce a name perfectly and then profusely apologise? Well, I can't. I, I, I struggle. You just did. I you struggle. got it right. But no, I think. Peter and... sticks all gleeve and there you are. That's the one. Um, but because of like this, the ragtag nature of, of the characters as well, I think that it's, it's quite interesting that you do have these kind of. I don't know, um, big names you know, in, in a film that you wouldn't necessarily see them all together. Yeah. So. so, yeah, it's it's quite eclectic casting. It's extremely good casting. And it's just fun from the very first scene. You know, we, I, I've never been the biggest fan of the sort of aesthetic of the film in the, uh, the, the Xander stuff. Look, Xander, is it? The main planet? Xander, yeah. Xander. That, that looks great. But, you know, once you start putting in really fake looking skies, obviously, because it's, you know, on a different world and different, you know, well in space. I, I understand why it's like that. But obviously, the whole thing does look created in a computer. So I, I always enjoy the look of like a Winter Soldier a, a lot more. But it was just fun from the very first scene. And, and, and it just kept introducing us to characters. And I'm thinking, how is this going to go? You know, and then we're 20, nearly 30 minutes in. And in shot is Dave Batista, and I'm thinking, right, it's that wrestler guy. How bad's this going to be? And he's fucking brilliant, you know. And that's not usual. It just isn't, you know. I know we've got a few ex wrestlers acting these days, but the vast majority of them aren't good and don't make it. Um, and comedy isn't always their strongest suit. Dwayne Johnson being, a, a, you know, a, a certainly not typical in that he's he's very good at sort of like comedy so yeah everything they introduced to us and all the concepts they were introducing to us were just great fun all the way through and i just came out thinking well it's a very different beast from the winter soldier it's clearly the sort of second of the two films this year i i, I can't put it quite on that plane but why judge it on that plane if you took the marvel logo off it they're two extremely different films and um they nailed it. It's one of the best things they've ever done. And they could go on making these films forever. And they really could. I mean, they may not be able to now for reasons we, we that are obvious and we don't really need to go into. And we can maybe talk a little bit more when we get to Guardians 2, because we will be able to discuss an actual example of them trying to like expand things and move it on and what we thought of that. But, you know, there was no doubt when we got to Infinity War, when the Guardians appeared, 
big smile on my face immediately. It was like the yeah. music kicked in and it was like, oh, it's the Guardians. Fantastic. Big smile. They drop Hemsworth in with the moose fantastic at light comedy anyway. Um, so the goodwill that was generated by this film was phenomenal. So, yeah, my opening thoughts is absolutely one of the best things Marvel have ever done. And I had a really great time with this today. Yeah, so did I. Uh, Becca, what do you think? No, I would totally agree with all the above, really. Um, I say I would rank this when we come to ranking the final um, or the well, MCU so far, it will rank quite highly. Um, top five, if not top ten. Um, but yeah, I think even though I've kind of not read many, if, if any, of, of Marvel comics, I would say I was a complete sort of newcomer to this. I'd, I'd not heard of this property before. Um, I wasn't even aware of, of this newer version, let alone you know the 1969 sort of original group that is alluded to in in the sequel. I think at the end of the sequel. Um, and the cast, I was like, what, Vin Diesel, you know, Bradley Cooper, Zoe Saldana, you know, you, you wouldn't expect them, yeah. to, you know, see them in the film and the film I, together. I mean, that was but... incredibly pressy in 1969 that they thought to put Rocky and Wei Lin together. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. Literally, at the end of that, I was like, I mean, oh, how did, how oh did God, they even Yo, think oh of God. that? I'm, I'm Marcel <laughs> Wallace as well. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> definitely Marcel Wallace. So we've got the Pulp Fiction, we've got the Bond, um, obviously we've got Double Take, Do- yeah. Dave Batista as well. I really thought um, you were going with Dev Patel then. <laughs> he, he might appear in there. He's maybe the um, the Dragon Ball connection. Um, Which is awful, a... by the way. If anyone... <laughs> that's stretching it out. <laughs> oh, sorry, Becca. You were saying. No, that's fine. Um, that's a terrible film. Avoid. Um, even if you're a Dragon Ball fan. No, no. Though it does have the comedic use of the word bender. So. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> From, from the moment you were born, I always knew you were a bender. <laughs> Just, anyway, anyway yeah, sorry, sorry, so, sorry, Becca, continue. <laughs> oh dear, that's what, oh. I'd like to do, going off on a tangent, I would like to do a separate stream about um, why the recent spate of like anime live action movies are so poor, but that's for another day. Um, but yeah, no, yeah I, I enjoyed this film from release, I had so much fun with it, I had a really good time watching it for this podcast. Um Love all the little the Easter eggs and you know all the little um, character cameos as well. Um, James Gunn has done a, a fantastic job. I know he took a real risk, and the studio also took a real risk on him to to bring this to the screen. Um, but I had a really great time, and you know, looking forward to the sequel. And it's really interesting how, especially with this film as well, they do quite a lot of world building and set up for you know for Thanos the big bad. But they can they do that without being detrimental to the film. Um, it doesn't feel like a... No, it doesn't feel like that, you know, they're putting too much oats on, on... Yeah, that's it. I mean, it, it's there. You, you can tell it's for a future film, but it's serving this film too. Exactly, and it feels totally natural as well. It, you don't kind of feel like you're just being shoved, you know, served up this load of backstory just for no reason. But and I like the fact Josh Brolin had that much uh, plastic surgery done to, to portray, <laughs> the, portray like the character <laughs> so accurately. This is it definitely, and the, and the score as well. I mean, obviously the the, the score is is fantastic. Um, but like the, the song choices as well. Um, we were talking earlier about kind of um, James Gunn kind of growing up with that kind of era of music. I think it's more to do also with um, Peter Quill as well, because he was obviously a child like of seventies and eighties, obviously being quite young in nineteen eighty eight. It's kind of music that you know he would have grown up with, and it kind of ties back to him and the sort of memories that he would have had growing up as a young you know as a young boy. So it's kind of it's all tied into his character as well, um, and it keeps us grounded as well because he's Terran, he's he's an Earthman, 
So he's like the everyman that we go on the journey. I thought with. you meant James Gunn. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, no. <clears throat> yeah, well, they're both, and and also um... they haven't let a tree direct any of them. <laughs> <laughs> Directed like I am Groot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, yeah. I agree with all the above. Really. Um, it's good fun. I have really good fun with it. Um, there's Doctor Who reference in there with Karen Gillan as well. Uh, all the geeky films coming together. It, it's pretty airtight as a film. I, I, I got from watching this. It seems to have like set up has, has all its themes. Everything kind of everything has a payoff. Uh, it does everything kind of like just wraps up everything kind of nicely for me. Um, this time, I don't know what you guys thought. It was always like it's close to like say Iron Man in terms of like reaching that perfect film status. Oh, I no, I completely agree. I think when we go through, I mean, the film feels kind of short, and it isn't. But it, it's just because everything is just servicing the story, so yeah. it's just whipping through quite quickly. But, you know, and well, and you got quite a could... long um, end sequence. I think the end sequence it's at least thirty minutes. Like the yeah, and I'm not I'm I'm not in love with that, and that's probably why it feels short because like I ignored the last third. Yeah, but like um, uh, but that's that's me and stuff that anyone who's listened to this show knows about me. But this, when I think of Marvel, is actually one of the worst examples. But I'll, I'll come to it in a bit. Uh, it wasn't as bad today, because there were, and I'll come to why when we get to it. But uh, I just found that even things like the comedy is while they're advancing plot. So if you think mm. of the escape from the prison, um, a lot of the comedy is literally them starting the whole process of escaping and so on. So yeah, they they didn't sit round and have a lot of conversations about life with a load of sort of shit talking each other. They didn't. They got on with it. Yeah. Well, yeah, so everything it's either that or um advancing character. You know, so it's either, everything that's in there advances character or plot. It's uh, it's one of the two. And it just tells you something about it, it makes it a bit more richer. Um So yeah, it's really, really well meticulously thought out this film. Absolutely. Um with that, shall we discuss this film sequentially? Why not? So I'm going to say something. If I had what any criticisms, uh, it's really Marvel in general now. This is the first time where we have they start fucking around with the Marvel logo. <laughs> yeah, they change it a little bit, don't they now? Actually, I thought we were on the original one here. What did they do to it? Well, because it was the original. It was that kind of Thor: The Dark World music. It's, wasn't it? I think so. it still had the. Uh, I don't know if you had started the flipping. Uh, yeah. Pages or not, I can't remember now. But it was this. It, but it was the first time where it wasn't directly at the front. It was like it was almost like post credits, and then you had oh, the Marvel logo. Sorry, yes. So the Mar the logo is the same, but it's placement of it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. They frequently have a cold open now. And I disagree. I I think it kind of just cuts the film. It's not like say Bond, where you had like yeah, you, you have your your gun barrel, you have your 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 opening bit, and then transition to a title sequence. It's different. It's transition. Uh, it feels a lot more natural. I think the, the title just kind of stops it, kind of cold open. It's like, it, you know. And I, and every time I see it, I just think, how much more smoother would it be if you just rather than like cause it begins with the sort of like you know the 10cc song. How nice it would be if you saw the Marvel logo with the 10cc song playing over it, and yeah. then after it finished, you cut straight to. Him holding the... I kind of agree with that, but I have to say, the logo, and I'll explain when we get to the film, I've mentioned it in previous shows, and I think these two know which film it is. I cried over the fucking logo in one of the films, so it can't be that bad. 
because it still managed to like move me despite the placement being wrong because I know that wasn't a, that was a cold open that film. Um, I don't know. The, the only problem I've got with the logo is I, I like the feeling of we see the Marvel logo and it's very comic booky, and then we go into a live action film that is the comic books brought to life. Yeah. I don't want it with shots of like the movie version of the Hulk and Iron Man in it. So I yeah. hate. Or I hate the, 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 logo. the yeah the newer one yeah because uh, it's just so big bombastic as well and full of its own self importance which fair enough they've earned but like you kind of think yeah but no, no if you're gonna do it have that at the front have it as your your this is our studios and then do the film do you know what I mean so yeah okay. So we started earlier in the sequential than I was expecting. Yeah. <laughs> so we start, we're so going really we've, sequential. We've gone back to the 80s. <laughs> so, yeah. And that, and that bit that bit where Mark Strong t- tells you to switch your phone off and stuff. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and, right, okay. for, for people that don't go to view, won't know what the fuck that means. But, okay. Yeah, no, no. That, that's the only one we got at the moment. City World opens in a few months. But anyway. You can play um, the Mark Strong book game, but it doesn't really uh, it's only the a, fact, apply to this. It's, it's only the fact that if you go to the cinema a lot you have to sit through this stuff constantly and it does my fucking head in but there you go um i was thinking when we got to this opening scene i was just thinking of our comments last week on casting people that look nothing like either their parents or their elder counterpart because um we were saying how much um if you haven't listened to creed and you're just listening to to the marvel films we were talking about how at the end of that film you see rocky's grandson and he, and he is reminiscent, at least, of Talia Shire. Because in the film, Rocky says he, he looks like Adrian. And he does. And we were making the point that they throw that dialogue into film after film, where the person they're referencing looks nothing like whoever they're saying. This kid looks fuck all like anyone that would ever grow into Chris Pratt. And that distracted me today, probably because we didn't record Creed very long ago. You no, know I've but never, from... I've never thought of it because I think I've just kind of got like, all oh, right, yeah, that's just, that's a really young fan. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't give it, I don't give <laughs> it much thought. I'm just like, okay, right. Unless, yeah. it, unless it looks like, oh my god, that's really good casting. You really like a young so and so. I don't really give it any much thought. So we start in 1988. Uh, it's 10cc and it's. Um... Uh, Peter Quill, I don't know if we get his name at this point, we probably just get Peter, I'd have thought. Uh, his mother is dying clearly of cancer in a hospital bed. He's yeah. called in to see her. She basically dies while they're talking. He's given a present from her that he'll open later in the film as an adult. We'll come to that. Um, he didn't sort of... It was one of the... As she died, she asked for him to take... And he didn't want to do it because he didn't... Cause, supposedly because he, he was too scared to kind of like, I don't want to touch your hand because that's that'll be it almost and then she died and you just feel fucking terrible as you would because it's quite a fucking heart-rending scene so as we say the lightest film in the yes. Marvel cinematic <laughs> yeah. universe yeah it's kind of alternately really heavy and then quite uh, like but it's, it's a good balance i think the the kind of the darker and, and lighter tones are balanced well light doesn't have to be weightless does it no but, but it, it can be uplifting it does it's it, uh, yeah he runs out and he's immediately clearly abducted sort of by a UFO. And we immediately cut to 26 years later. And that's really all you got to say on the opening scene. The film, as Chris saying, is really tight. Gets the information it needs to across quite quickly. It quite does. It's quite brisk, isn't it? And it's, it's kind of, there's very little fat in this film. Yeah. And then we're into the Raiders opening sequence. 
very little German news uh, meeting these gym mats. Um, yeah, it's a bit raiders, isn't it? I think that's deliberate. Don't you? Uh, I reckon so. Partly, yeah. I mean, he is kind of... Uh, what is he? What, what's he actually doing? He's trying to get, like, the... He's this... trying to steal an orb. Yes. And, and not the idol. Um, yeah, and and he's attacked by... Um... Jimon Hinsau, I never know how to pronounce his name. Dijon um, Mustard. Dijon Mustard attacks Dijon. him. It uh, gets right up his nose. <laughs> um, this well, guy... He's a bit of a veteran, isn't he? So it's good to see him appear on screen. And he, puts, he gives a... in like a really intense performance yeah, here. He, he has done a few of these roles where he's played sort of secondary villain or henchman in like crap films. Um, the Island springs to mind, actually. I think that was the one I was thinking of because I thought I, I saw him and thought, oh, God, they've cast him in that sort of role. If they've taken anything from the island, it will be terrible. Um, I saw um, a actually, when Russian you version his, of that by accident. When you look <laughs> through his filmography, uh, there's some really good stuff in there, like Blood Diamond and stuff, but there's an awful lot of dreadful stuff. He was in Blood Diamond was a good film. He was in Lara Croft, Tomb Raider, The Cradle, Cradle of Life. Oh, Cradle of Filth. Uh, <clears throat> in Aragon. Uh, what else? Read the book, it's better. Can't be any worse, could it? He was in <laughs> King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, which was awful. Uh, but there's loads of oh, uh, there's loads of really pretty decent stuff in there as well. We'll have to see how Aquaman turns out, but he's in that. That's a good review so far. Well, very early. Early buzz is previews. good, but like, yeah, be released, it'll be released a couple of days before this episode is out, so we'll see actual reviews by then. So we'll know for we'll know for certain what the critical reaction is anyway. Um, he was in How to Train Your Dragon 2, obviously just as a voice because it's animated, but that was pretty good. So, good yeah. But yeah, he, he, I think it's the island and the Lara Croft bit that when I see him, I think, oh my God, what's this going to be? Um, but yeah, he's attacked trying to steal this orb. What else do we really want to say about the scene, if anything? Uh, it, I think he just sort of introduces his character where he is. You know, he's there like dancing around, uh, listening to, you know, come and get your love, which everyone knows to death now uh, which wasn't heard of by the time this but film just came perfect. out yeah I mean this film has reappropriated songs that did belong to other films as well I mean mm. it just has there's a couple of songs in this film there's one from uh, Reservoir Dogs yeah. so it hooked on a feeling but it belongs to this film now yeah oh, uh, uh, yeah it used to belong to this and Ali McBeal <laughs> Yeah, oh. it, it does happen over the years. It's like across 110th Street doesn't belong to across 110th Street. It belongs to Chucky <laughs> Brown, you know. Um, so yeah, really great choices. Lots of fun. Uh, people I know we've got. I mean, I know I've got a friend who's got a real soft spot for Chris Pratt, and when she puts this film on, she watches that scene a few times. She just really, really enjoys like him, like goofing off here, like singing into like space rovers. Yeah. I mean, she she is attracted to him, but obviously this this isn't the scene well, you put on. This a isn't the scene. Fella, you know? Yeah, but this isn't the scene you would put on for what is it? Yeah. But she just likes his persona so much that she really just enjoys him, like goofing off here. Yeah. Which is really cool. So yeah, there's a bit of a mix in his character here because skipping to the end of the scene, he's he's got a woman on his craft. He's forgotten was there that he liked <laughs> the previous night. Which is obviously a little bit more sexual than so, anything we've so, in Star Wars. So he's part, so he's part Indiana Jones, part James Bond, and part, he's definitely and, part, and part, part James T. Kirk. Basically, he's part Han Solo. There's definitely Kirk in there. Never read that in any of the descriptions of it, but there's a little bit of of the 
pop culture James Kirk anyway, not the yeah. actual character, because yeah. as we discussed during Star Trek, he's not what people think he is. But looking at, I've got Wikipedia up as well, just I'm looking at the odd bit as we go along. Uh, he re- Pratt himself referenced Marty McFly as well. Oh yeah, that's true. So you got uh, all these archetypes. I'm not quite sure what I can see in that. I mean, the script is, a, is tight like Back to the Future, but... I mean, I think... I think it's in terms of like who his character is, because essentially he is a man child, and 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 his character is basically fine. Cause he, as, he's he's someone who has basically been taken away to a different world when he was a kid, and theoretically he hasn't really matured the way he should. You would do because he hasn't had he hasn't had any parenting of some sort. So <laughs> he's he's still like eight years old, but yeah. post post puberty with like a sex drive. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the, those elements of the part. I think part of the reason is it's like finding that maturity of growing up within the film. I think that's his whole arc in the series is growing up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I suppose there's an awful lot of sort of Back to the Future where Marty is completely working, trying to work as he goes along as well. Just like situations where he's being chased and he's like, "What the hell's going on?" Do you know what yeah. I mean? So I suppose there's an element of that as well. Um, and I suppose there's an element of showing a certain side to the rest of the world that isn't you. I mean, it's only in one scene, but, you know, well, there's a couple of times in Back to the Future. In three, he goes around calling himself Clint Eastwood because he's suddenly in this environment he's seen loads of films on. So, you know, he's, he's so he goes around calling himself Star-Lord. And it's a running joke in the film that he thinks it's this portentous name and everyone goes, who's that then? <laughs> so that's really cool. But yeah, just... when, when they call him that right at the end, he's like, finally! <laughs> uh, Korath is the uh, Jimon Hunsa character. He's uh, working for the Kree, working for Ronan, um, who's a character that massively over- underwhelmed me, but we'll get back to that. Uh, Quill gets away with the orb, um, and we hear... Um, we're introduced to Yondu, aren't we? Yeah, is that uh, Michael Rooker? Michael Rooker, yeah. yeah really who, well, I'd only ever... I mean, I need to check that. I'm going to sort of call him up and just look at his filmography now. because but I he only, was famous you know, in uh, Cliffhanger. There. Well, Cliffhanger is a film I saw once and vowed never, ever again. <laughs> and then when I look at it, yes, I've seen him pop up in things. Like, I watched JFK not that long ago. Now I'm looking at these lists and I go, oh, yeah, I remember. He was in JFK. And I have seen stuff like Sea of Love and Mississippi Burning, but action and Tombstone. But the first thing, the first thing I ever sorry, which was Mississippi Burning. Mississippi Burning, I really liked, but again, I've not seen it in twenty years. But the film, the film I always think of for him is Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Have we all seen that? I have years ago, but I've seen it. I could never get through it. Well, it's, it's, it's a really, really interesting study. I think, due, to, due to the graphic nature of it, I'm a little bit like, oh. I think it's almost like, you know, it, I think it's, if you could, like, accurately tell what someone who's like that is actually like, this is probably one of the best films that does that. Yeah, I mean, it's almost, there's a little bit of this in American Psycho, that it's actually just who he is, and there's often no rhyme or reason to what he's doing mm. at all. It's worth seeing, though, because it's, it's a big and small performance at the same time. It's a very short film as well. It's not like it's, it's not a like... really short film. <laughs> There's a story I'll tell you offline of how I ended up seeing that because um, I ended up with like hundreds of pounds that got cancelled in like um, uh, cinema uh, video shop 
fines for that film and i never rented it but it's a long story um but i did see it years later it's a really short film and it's a really it's a big performance and a small performance at the same time it's quite internalized but he's got strong big characteristics as well so he's a really interesting actor and and actually in hindsight perfect perfect casting for this well he works he's he's a regular with gun as well so i think he's been in everything he's done so right um so well, I think, yeah, they're just kind of rednecks. Kind of uh, space rednecks. Possibly, yeah, yeah. a little bit like that, aren't they? I think I think it's just that kind of like space pirates, kind of like you know this rabble kind of. Yeah, that I suppose that kind of that kind of thing that you know that kind of. Mm. Yeah. What we're seeing here is really informed by the second film. When I watched it today, I was like, oh, yeah, I can see what Yondu's actually doing here. And we didn't know at the time. And Gunn would know because he wrote both. Mm. Um, yeah, so there's a bounty set on him by Yondu. Yondu basically brought Peter up. But we get through the film that he was used for thieving and that sort of yeah. thing. So he's been misbrought up, we believe. And we do get hints he was supposed to deliver him to his father. But again, more on that in the second film. So Yondu's after him, or certainly sending a bounty on him, and Ronan sends Gamora after him. Gamora is Zoe Saldana. You know from Star Trek? Yeah. yeah. Now this is the daughter or adopted daughter of Thanos. Yeah, uh, which we later learn as well. I suppose adopted is generous <laughs> to, to degree. Yeah, yeah. They, well, they didn't. They didn't seem to do the paperwork, did they? <laughs> uh, I, I suppose when you kind of like you know masculine type planet, I, mean, when, I don't when, think it really when matters. When the family was being, when the family were being massacred, he wasn't leaning down to that kid going <laughs> side here and initial here. <laughs> yeah, well, he, I, I don't think he was really asking for consent. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> But he's re- she, he raises him as his daughter. So yeah. Gamora is the offspring of Thanos. We believe, or not the offspring, that's totally the wrong term, but you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, so we believe she's totally in league with Thanos. Ronan looks kind of scary in his way. And Yondu just looks kind of ruthless, like he would just kill you, no problem. Yeah, he looks really so, dangerous in this film. I think sort of Ronan does, he's kind of a, a sort of a threatening figure. He does cast a very terrifying shadow, I think. Well, I think I think he's he's got a clear edge of like law above law to himself. Like he's like he'll, he'll, he he might he everything he does is self interest. So he have no problem in doing as long as it's like it serves him. Yeah. Then we go to the visibly. I quite like the new stuff. The the stuff we go to next visually rather. Yeah. Um, Quill goes to Xandar, uh, which is. I don't know how to describe it, but it, it's got a it's a nice, bright, sunny planet, isn't it? Yeah, it's like uh, I, sp- I suppose it's like ca- it's like California, but it's very green. A hundred years from now, urban. It's like urban, but very green as mm. well. And they're basically trying to. S- he's going to go and try and sell the orb, basically. So this is what he he does. Mm. He goes around places stealing things and selling them to get by. So he's kind of a smuggler, kind of. <laughs> Who does I that remind us of? Yeah, uh, um, a smuggler in space, you say? Hmm. Well, get... yes, just like um, I can't think right now. <laughs> Chekhov? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 
so there's there's definitely a lot of hand solo in this. Uh, where do we go for that? Do we go to the? We don't go to the collector yet, do we? Oh no, collector's right in the middle of the film. No, he, uh, um... he does. He does go into like a well, it's a pawnbroker, really, isn't it? Mm. To try and sell it. Yeah, I mean, though this time we have like we get basically get introduced to most of the guardians. We have Rocket and um, yeah. and Groot, and he's like literally just like fishing for for bounties. He's literally like sort of. They get the bounty while they're yeah. waiting. Yeah, Groot just drinking from a fountain and then denying it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I saw you One do of those it. things. It's a bit like watching the Sooty Show or something. In that, like whatever Groot says, Rocket has to fucking reply to, and most of the time say what he said. And he's mute. Yeah. Apart going, I am Groot. Well, it, it's it's just the fact that like I, we find out more so in the sequel that I am Groot actually does mean stuff. Yeah. Rather than that's all he can say. That's a language, but then he says um, we are Groot. Yeah, which doesn't make sense if it, I'm Groot says everything. But yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but, but it's the fact that he has to repeat everything. Oh, so and so, you say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of cool. Except if he's like swearing or rude, then they just go language or whatever. So that's really cool. Uh, so yeah, he's in quite a lot of danger. Gamora's caught up with him. The guy won't buy the orb off him because he's referenced that uh, Ronin's after it. Yeah. And Gamora's got a buyer for it as well. We as well. So because she's basically, she admits she's betrayed mm. them as well. Oh no, that's in prison. That's a little bit later on actually. They end up arrested by John C. Riley and Peter Serafinowicz, don't they? They do, yeah. So basically, they have a, like a big sort of tussle, like kind of, which is as kind of action. fun. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of fun as a, we introduced like basically majority of the main characters, and they basically get arrested and. Did they get put in like they get put in the prison, but it's better to be like a corrupt place. They make uh, reference to like, or I, I don't know what's it because, um, what's got Xandar uh, seems like quite a, a place of of legality, it, should we say? It, it seems, seems um like, yeah, the the kill on by, by a, comparison not, is, is quite not, lawless, isn't it? As the prison goes, not in an oppressive way, but Xandar seems like zero tolerance. Yeah, doesn't it? It's a zero tolerance environment. I don't think. Whereas, like with the kiln, anything goes. Yeah. Looking at it, it, in design, it's a bit like Red Dwarf Eight. Oh yeah, <laughs> like it doesn't. Yeah, a little bit like that. Um, yeah. So I never thought of that before. Actually, Jay, good point. Neither had I before I said it. But um, <laughs> he has his music taken from him because he's got basically an old Walkman. That he's mm. listening to this music his mother put together for him, the awesome mix, which is. I've got all a fun fact about that coming up at the end of the show. Cool. Um, yeah, they're put in prison, and we meet we meet all of them. We meet Drax. Yeah. Drax, Drax had his wife and child killed by. Was it killed by Ronan? I think it was. Yes, it was killed by uh, Ronan. Everyone's after Gamora because, basically, because of Thanos. Yeah. Uh, everyone, because everyone, but he's—he's he's like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, Thanos. You know, everyone's had someone yeah. killed by Thanos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like so—it's almost if like he doesn't even need to wipe out fifty percent of the population. Sounds like he's already done it. <laughs> yeah. But so uh, they all kind of get together and decide they're going to. And we're introduced to Drax, and uh, the Drax is just fantastic. Yeah. This whole character who takes everything completely literally. So, so-and-so would just go right over your head. No, it would not. I would catch it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I love the way it's, like, everything is literal to him. 
basically Adrian Roy is kind of like slicing somebody's throat and he's why would I put my finger into his throat and it's like it's and like, like, well, in the sequel, no, we have more fun with that, and it's like, yes. No, it's like, yeah, we're supposed to. It's a, it's a, you could slit his throat. It's like, I won't slit his throat, I cut it off. I chop his head clean off. <laughs> yeah, but it's just a sign that means. I've never heard that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, um, it's a little reaction where it's like, come on, you, you know what this means. You go, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> the escape is probably one of the best scenes in the film. Yeah. Uh, started by Groot. They, they, they're there we're trying to work out a plan. And Rocket's there saying, so first we've got to get this thing, but we'll have to do it late when no one's around because it will go crazy. There's, everything will shut down the moment we do it. And what? And in the background, Groot is kind of expanding himself to reach up and just nab it. <laughs> and it just sets off this chaotic sequence where Rocket says, I need this and I need this and I need that guy's leg. <laughs> and that's just super. It's brilliant. Really funny. It sets off like the, uh, the trope of like, Rocket just likes taking taking the yeah. limbs. Yeah, no, he asks for an eye in the next one, doesn't he? I need it. Oh no, I need it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so uh, not much more to say there. They get out on that ship, and I think we've got Ronan and Thanos next. And Ronan seems to basically defy Thanos because he's he's basically got the um. No, that's not yet, is it? No, it isn't yet. Well, well, no, no, I'm not actually. I'm thinking about when Ronan had the Infinity Stone. He didn't. He mm. meets Thanos first, though, and we're introduced to um, what she called Gamora, not Gamora, oh. her sister. Yeah, um... Nebula. Nebula. Yeah. That's the one I couldn't. Oh, I've, 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 I've I was, I was searching for it. Nebula. So yeah. yeah, we're introduced there. On basically in the same environment he was in that little Easter egg at the end of the Avengers. I yeah. think that's where we meet him then. I was thinking of the later scene, but there is that there. Um, well, I can't, I can't imagine he'd be very, very entertained sitting there all day. There's no telly or nothing, is there? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Checking anyway. on him when he's watching, like... Neighbours. Neighbours? Him in a way? And then his arms like shoot up in the air because he's got the conundrum. <laughs> um, That's just gone over so many listeners' heads. All right, um, <laughs> they flee to a place. Daytime TV in the UK, folks. They go to a place called Nowhere, don't they? This is where they go to meet the um, the collector. Spelled At the same K-N-O time, they do a bit of gambling and Drax gets pissed. This is where he opens the orb, the collector, and and shows there's an Infinity Stone inside. And yeah. we get another explanation for anyone watching this film as a one-off as to what the Infinity Stones are. And you do see shots of, like, the ether and stuff like that. And we see, like, little shots of, like, how it can be wielded and how it can, like, wipe out planets. I like how this film handles uh, exhibition by literally telling you stuff, but doesn't feel, like, pushed. Uh, they've got to be told. They've not seen yeah. them, and they, he stole an orb. He didn't steal an Infinity Stone. It happened to have an Infinity Stone. He he cho- he stole some precious gem, and inside mm. happened to be this thing. And he's got to be told what it is. This is the first in a sort of sub franchise. So you get people going to see this who like Star Wars and haven't really thought about Marvel. So you've got to explain it, but they haven't explained to them at the same time, and it's explained in a minute or two. It doesn't yeah. take very long. Um. I mean, it's it's far clunkier in like Infinity War than it is here. This this isn't too bad at all. Yeah, but even like in terms of like the characters, you when they get arrested, you're gonna get like a brief introduction about who they are. I think it's like quite. It's 
quite well structured. It's like, okay, well, obviously that that's quite well done. You know, you don't it doesn't. So so this is this is Rocket and his best mate Groot. He looks like a raccoon, but he isn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. So what's the key point here? We know there's an Infinity Stone now, and Drax basically summons Ronan, doesn't he? Basically, yeah, because he's getting impatient. He's like, I want Ronan. Uh, he just wants immediate revenge. Yeah. So uh, this is this leads to a whole action sequence where he has his ass handed to him by Ronan, uh, and while the others are f- sort of fleeing, uh, the ship is well, Gamora's ship is destroyed, isn't it? Mm. And uh, Peter goes out and saves us only by just going out in space and taking off his helmet and let, letting her breathe by threatening yeah. sacrificing himself, but it doesn't quite. I mean, I, 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 he, no, he's called Yondu because Yondu's got a bounty on him, yeah. so he knows he's about to die. So he puts a call out to Yondu and says, "These are my coordinates. Come and get me." Yeah. Which is a you know he got there quite quick, didn't he? Considering considering like you you're in immediate space and you're not frozen to yeah. death. He could have been having dinner or anything, couldn't he? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's kind of grim that log because they talk about like he had to stop the rest eating him and things like that. Yeah. So yeah. They're saved, but they're now with the uh, well, the well, they're now with Yondu. I don't know what his race is. It is from Centauri Four, currently, but I'm not quite sure what what he is. He's a Ravager of some kind. Yeah, but yeah, I think ra- he's one yeah, of the, Ravager, um, yeah. Original lineup. Yeah, so those two are on that ship. Rocket, uh, Drax, and Groot are elsewhere and just basically come to try to get them out. And that's all leading to pretty good dialogue. They're, they're basically yeah. going to start fighting, but long story short, they don't. And we end up with the more sort of sat around trying to work out a plan towards the sort of final act of yeah. the film. It's so, so tight. But uh, there was a bit of a repetition of a joke because the, there was a joke in The Avengers about uh, Tony giving Pepper 12% of the credit for the building. Oh, yeah, 12%. Oh, yeah. Yeah, here Peter's got 12% of a plan. 12% seems to be a thing. <laughs> yeah, wasn't that in the, also in the, uh, the, the latest Avengers one as well? Like, sort of something about percentage of, like... Maybe I'm thinking about thinking too much. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, so basically he, he encourages or he persuades him. like, look, okay, well, I haven't got the orb, so... Yeah, it's been stolen by Ronan in, in all of this, so, and uh, he's now got an Infinity Stone that he basically calls calls Thanos up on the wall screen and says, "Fuck you, I'm having it." Yeah, he he seems to be able to wield it, and he just sort of puts it into his staff or whatever it is. It's hammer, like a big big hammer, really. Yeah, but it's like a full length hammer. It's the length of a staff, but it's a hammer. Yeah. So they've now got an Infinity Stone that if he he's going to head to Xandar with that to destroy it for some reason. Are we sure we know why Ronan wants to destroy Xandar? Uh, I think Ronan wants to basically destroy everything. Like he's... Um, and he'll start with Xandar because the Nova Yeah, he, he, I think the closest thing I could put is he's kind of like um, Islamic extremist where he just wants to like... It's either everything's like his race or his, his rule or nothing. So it's just like, I'm going to destroy everything that's not like... But he would head to Xandar first because that's where the sort of effectively the law yeah. for the sector is. Yeah, you wipe presumably. out the or you wipe out everyone. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they've now got to put together a plan with Yondu 
and with the four of them, five of them, to uh, go and stop this happening. And they make it very clear, and it's shown in the little graphic when the Infinity War's uh, shown to them, that if, if he touches the ground with it, it will wipe it out. So, pretty straightforward in its um, stakes, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, we're going to, you know, he, he basically is going to destroy the galaxy with it. He's going to wield it as a weapon. So, this way, you have the unity stand with the, with the team say, look, it's now or never, we've got to stand together, we might as well do something about it now, because we're not going to have a galaxy to live in if we just let him let him win this thing. Lots of brilliant dialogue here as well, yeah. particularly with particularly with Drax, you know, where you know he's he's not listening half the time and stuff <laughs> like that. And, um, again, I wish I had a better memory for specific examples, but you know they all agree something, and then he immediately says something else, and it's like, well, I've just said that when literally just now I wasn't listening. I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking of something else. I, it, it, it's that, and plus, like, just the random things that he finds funny that he really shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, we get more of that in the second one, actually, yeah. him laughing his ass off at stuff. It's really great. So, um, we've now got Xandar's got the um, orb. He's sorry, not Xandar, they're going to Xandar. Ronan has got the orb. Uh, Nebula is trying to sort of steal it back for her father, and the Guardians are kind of trying to steal it back to stop. Xandar being destroyed. That's basically the stakes. And they do get in touch with the Nova Corps and basically tell them what's happening. So, Peter Serafinowitz, I hate that a-hole line. What a-hole? Yeah, it's a bit... No, I don't like it because either swear or choose another word. Because no one in life, anyone calls anyone an a-hole, do they? No, not really. Does that actually happen in life? You call them an asshole, or you pick a clean alternative, or do a red dwarf and pick another word. Call them a smeghead or something. Smeghead, yeah, I mean, you suppose you've got a bit more license if you are talking about in the galaxy, but uh, then they probably in wouldn't fact, even say a hole. Everyone laughed at it. The trouble is, he delivers it very straight because he's playing a very straight character mm. um, deliberately. Because Peter Serafina, which is a brilliant comedy actor for anyone who's never watched any of his stuff. Oh, stuff. so funny. Look at stuff like Look Around You and stuff like that. He's, he's so really clever. very, very talented. Uh, anyone listening, if you don't not don't recognise the name, he was the voice of Darth Maul in um, The Phantom Menace, but again, most he was cut down to a couple of lines. He's also in the uh, hilarious film Spy, so I urge you to check that out as well. Yeah, uh, he's he's uh, he's done a lot of things. He's been very well. He's very well known on British television as well. And um, he's in Shaun of the Dead. As Shaun's boss. He's in Shaun of the Dead as Shaun's roommate. And yeah. <laughs> and boss, yeah, I think he's the boss as well. So, yeah, he's appeared in loads of stuff, but best known as a voice actor, he appeared in things like Black Books as well. So when I say anything about the way a comedy line's delivered here, it's purely out of the character that it's delivered very, very straight. And A-Hole's just not funny. But then I might be in a I might be in a minority because I saw this theatrically a couple of times and everyone laughed. Yeah, I think cause it's, it's obviously like I was going to say what came up in my head is like because it's it's a British actor saying an American line. That sounds I don't mean that to sound in any way shape or form but it's because it's probably a term that yeah we would say like asshole for example it's not something that we would say um or that we're kind of you know using our vernacular but that's what i meant i was not being you know yeah we're british we're gentlemen i, I don't mean like anti-american people, i don't people, mean that people like wankers and... <laughs> i guess because he's quite a reserved guy it's more about how we probably would he would kind of self-censor himself to a degree when he was cursing I'm, yeah I, I i imagine you can't imagine him sort of 
saying something like asshole or what a dick because that just doesn't match <laughs> it. I don't know. Um, but yeah. There you. I'm making too much of a tiny line, but I never found it that funny, that's all. But they're a very sort of straight, very regimented society or group anyway, mm-hmm. the Novacore. And uh, yeah, they've, they've just take a risk that what Quill's saying is correct and uh, get themselves ready to defend Xandar. And I'm going to struggle from here on because I fucking hate everything that comes afterwards. I'm really bored by 99% of it. Why, why do you hate it? What's the... Any anytime we're sort of close in on the actors, and, and I actually mean the digital sprites as well. I mean, I, I mean Groot and Rocket, that. But every time we're close in on them, and they're talking and they're interacting and they're planning. All of that works really well. Every time we're sort of outside of a craft, just watching action, I'm finding that really boring. And it does go on a little bit too long. The film doesn't in general, but I think it's just me. I just think action has to be blindingly good and almost linked an umbilical level to the actual plot of the film for me to be interested. And at this point, you know, I wasn't that interested in Xandar. I wasn't that interested in the Novacore particularly. Um, the couple of jokes they did fell really flat, and I, I didn't care. But every time we were on the craft, crafting close in on our core cast, that was that stuff was very good and better than I remembered. But yeah, it's one of the things Guardians does better. Guardians Two, Guardians Two has a better and more earned third act to me. Yeah, definitely, because it's a lot more personal, isn't it? A lot more kind of centred around the characters. Do you feel that way generally about other non-Marvel films when they do big space battle type things, or do you feel like when it... It just it depends what it is, because, you know, you think of something like Return of the Jedi, the space battle at the end of that's brilliant. I, I yeah. don't think... That, I don't think... You can only generalise about me by the weight of the number of shows we've discussed where I've said this sort of stuff. Mm. So I've clearly got a third act problem, full stop, when it descends into action. But there's plenty of series and films where there's a lot of action and I've been very positive. And I think whatever the relative merits of the two Guardians films, I thought Guardians 2, from memory, and I'll reassess this time, did it, did it right? Um, and when we finish this, spoiler alert, folks, because we've decided what we're going to do absolutely next and it isn't what we were going to do next. When we finish this series, we're going to cover Mission Impossible and they're action heavy as hell and I love them or I love half of them anyway. So I think a lot of it is in, most of it's in execution, but I think my bar is a lot higher than most people's. I think you've really got to impress me for this stuff to work. And and, uh, so many of the Marvel films, I'm just like, I don't give a shit. I mean, even, even... even something like the Winter Soldier, which had a really good third act, I, I'm, I found myself tuning out a bit. You know what I mean in places, and that's a film I really, really like. So yeah, I've got a problem with this stuff. But when when we were talking in previous series about many times through many episodes about third acts and my problems, and I said we're going to have this problem when we get to Marvel. Every time I said that, the image in my head was Guardians of the Galaxy and them firing up from the ground in Xandar. So this is the poster boy for third act problems. I, I, I think it's probably uh, a cinematic problem where you, they always need to have a big climax, like end on your biggest, grandest action scene. Uh, whereas I, I do wonder whether it actually matters, generally speaking, too, too wide audience. I think if you actually ended on a lot more smaller scale, but had your like larger scene somewhere in the middle, like your main action scene, 
had you done it as a you know you could have done a heist on that fucking ship and that would have been good enough you didn't need all the yeah. fucking bollocks outside it yeah you know what i mean because every time we're on the main characters is great and there's still plenty of humor as well like fucking uh, you know um group clearing the fucking corridor of everyone and stuff like that he just stretches his limbs out and like smashes mm. them against the wall yep. all of that stuff's really good and and i just i just properly cut action is quite good because when, when you cut between different things i'm going great let's see what's happening there and then almost instinctively you're thinking i wonder what happens there and we cut, we cut to something else and we see it here every time they cut away from the core characters i was like oh fuck off <laughs> and then it would go back to them and i'd be like right i'm interested again for a minute uh it's a problem it's not going to yeah. affect final ranking well it will in the I can write off a lot of the third act of this film, but it's still extremely tightly plotted as a film. Yeah. This is the logical extension of everything they've done to get here, and it's not that badly executed. But for a film I've enjoyed so much, this was probably the worst third act since Iron Man. Or so, possibly Thor. So it's know. it's basically when you, when you take away from the characters, so it just feels like, okay, I want to get back to the characters rather than... Yeah, that's yeah. Exact, that, that's what it is. And actually, what I'd forgotten, because I hadn't seen Guardians for a while, is I'd forgotten all that character stuff was there. I mean, obviously, yeah. I knew it was there because we finished with the We Are Group bit and stuff, which is which is really terrific. But I remembered, and in talking through all those other series, when I said I can't wait to do Marvel, but we're going to have a problem with third acts in that series because it's got loads of this where it just descends into action and I don't care. The example in my mind was always the first Guardians of the Galaxy, which is funny because it's one of the better films in the series overall. Having rewatched it today, there's a lot more of the, of cutting towards that character work than I'd remembered. So it's not as bad as I remembered. But yeah, it, it is a problem. I, I don't give a shit about people I don't know firing up at a craft I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so basically the what happened uh, is the... They, the um... What what do you call what what are they call the uh, Zand Zandarians? Zandarians, <laughs> um, that's the one. <laughs> uh, they they come along and do this like weird kind of netting thing with their ships, it's kind of like to block um, Ronan. Do you know? It's just occurred to me that it's very good that when the Nova Corps arrested them, they put them on an off-site planet. Otherwise, group if they'd had a prison on the planet, Groot would have been in a Zander cage. It's all right. Well earned. Um, roll, please. Yeah, I'm not that proud of it. A, because it wasn't that funny. And B, it was a fucking torturous setup. I had to do. I had to say <laughs> way more shit to get to the line than I thought. Oh, that's got to be in the trailer. Yeah. Great. Everyone will rush to fucking listen there, won't they? <laughs> Yeah, so uh, and that, that's one of the things I, I did worry because, uh, well, I, I did kind of go a bit. Oh, that's annoying, you know. With um, Peter Sellers' character kind of goes goes along protesting and saying like, "I hope you prove me wrong," and he dies before he gets to sort of see that, you know, the that you know they they won the fight. They were it was it was yeah it was you know one of those things kind of almost like makes me feel a bit sad, a bit annoyed that like, oh, I wish he'd lived just to have that. It's cheap. That's. I think I had a problem with that as well because it's cheap. I don't care. I don't care about this character. We've had a minute or two of him. Um, and he's had no chemistry with anyone by definition. And then he dies. And it's like, well, that was meant to be a heartfelt moment, was it? I don't care. 
there's no, no, yeah, there's no setup for that. Get back to the main characters. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so. But then we do have the um. Well, we we have a lot lots of different bits going on, you know, with Gamora and Nebula and all the rest mm. of it. But in the end, we end up with Groot. Um, they, they they bring the ship down, and Groot basically envelops everyone to to shield them, uh, knowing he's he's going to die. Rocket knows he's going to die mm. doing this, and that's all terrific. So they survive an incredibly powerful crash. Yeah. Uh, and the Guardians are baited, and then it's the Guardians versus Ronan 2. Operation Miami. <laughs> <laughs> Ronan 2, Operation. Yeah, he said it best when you say nothing at all. Um... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, yeah, he's about, he's about to like twat the ground. Yes. And Quill decides to dance. That's so funny. That bit actually laugh out loud funny. And I remember seeing it at the cinema. And I was that annoying person who actually laughed out loud. You know, the best thing about it is um, there is a song playing. There is a song playing. And if he had to pick a song to dance to, it wouldn't be that one. (laughs) So he's having to massively over dance to quite a slow song. (laughs) Which is the best thing about it. So he's he's giving it fucked quite a slow song. He's doing the best he can. Yeah. Yeah, and again, I think there's some payoff in the second film to this because uh, he distracts him and they manage to get the hammer destroyed and grab the stone. And mm. Quill grabs it and it should it should destroy him. It destroys somebody at the start of the film who tries to grab it from yeah. Ronan. Um, and it doesn't. And again, I think that's basically because he's not a pure earthling. But we don't know that at this point. No. I mean, he's, he's kind of sold. It'll kill him, but it'll kill him slower. That's all. Yeah. It's killing him slowly, but then when they all sort of join hands to share it, they can use that power. He manages to harness it and throw it at Ronan, basically. With the power of love. Um, yeah. <laughs> a song so, not on the soundtrack. Yeah. No, it but, should be, though. But you have which, that... ver- which version? Well, which song? Because like, there's various oh, songs. Yeah, that's what I mean. Do you mean Frankie Goes to Hollywood? Do you mean Jennifer Rush? Oh, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Fair enough. Um... But yeah, you also have that intake with him, uh, pick, like sort of replaying the time where his, his mum reached out for him, and it's uh, yeah, so it's kind of like something that he's actually finally accepting that to a degree. So yeah, yeah it, all, it all ties up, I think. Uh, yeah, so then 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 he's you know, do the yeah. whole with the guards of the galaxy, bitch, or or <laughs> I don't know if he says bitch, I can't remember, <laughs> but it feels gotcha, like you suckers. <laughs> They should put that in every film. Even Rain Man. I'll come and see <laughs> Rain Man. Gotcha, suckers! I'm Rain Man, bitch. Gotcha. Rain Man, bitch. <laughs> Rain House. Oh, uh, we could totally commentate on Rain Man. <laughs> oh. I'm having that attitude. Inappropriate. Inappropriate. <laughs> what? No, it'd be funny. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> autism, not like anal cancer or something. No one knows about it. <laughs> so, where do we go from here? It's just, it's just uh, sort of tying up all the loose ends now. Yeah. Uh, Yondu basically gets uh, the container. <laughs> the, the, although when he opens it, there's not an orb in there. It's, it's a little and troll. And he smiles, which is again, yeah. A, he's been trolled, so that's a bit meta. Yeah. Uh, which I've only just realised. trolling going on there, I think. Uh, but also, there's a little sort of hint that Yondu's not that bad because he smiles. 
Yeah, there's, uh, the there's, there's, there's hints that he is actually secretly more affectionate. Or at the very least, and impressed. Or at the very yeah, it's like impressed, and maybe at the very least that he actually probably enjoys the chase more than <laughs> you know. That was the element yeah. of that, maybe. That's my boy. Yeah, uh, the real stone gets under goes under the protection of the Nova Corps, so we know we know at this point where that Infinity Stone is. And when we get to, I'll remind you when we get to Infinity Stone, listeners, if those of you don't know, but it's the Power Stone. Yeah. So this all gets like dealt with off camera, unfortunately, but they've got it now. Um, what else? They're given a new ship by John C. Riley as a, you know, on behalf of the Nova Corps as a thank you because he's basically saved them all and saved his family because he's got a wife and daughter as well. Um, Very nice ship it is. They've too. had their criminal records wiped. Um, they basically start with a clean slate, don't they? And they're given the moniker of Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Um, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> the title of the film is, is said not once but twice. And yeah, yeah and yeah, Peter uh, finally accepts and opens up his um, present from his mum, which is another cassette. Also, tape. mixed volume two. Yeah. Also, mixed, yeah, volume two. Which would be perfect for a sequel. Yes, uh, <laughs> amazingly enough. Yeah, and then they, they sort of fly off, and basically, they've got a little kind of offcut of Groot. Yes, that's dancing to Michael Jackson. Or Jackson and 5. The, well, that, the po- two post credit sequence, the first one is um, Howard the Duck. Yes. Um, as uh, With the Collector. And the second one is, I think it's that way around, the second one is uh, Baby Groot, kind of as a little sort of sapling <laughs> in a pot, starting to sort of become sentient and start to dance to uh, I Want You Back by the Jackson 5. Yeah, I think... Uh, at the end of that film, everybody in the country wanted a dancing Groot. And I think it took, it took them probably six months to a year to actually release you know, a, a similar toy. I still like, don't have one. I've got to, think, got to get on that. I, I think it's on my on my wish list for years and years and years. But yeah, like everybody in the country, I remember like going through Twitter and being like, we all want a dancing Groot. Listeners, and I think they finally relented now. and made one. Listen as I search live on the show for a dancing <gasps> Groot on Amazon.com. I mean, to be honest, they should have done it for that Christmas. Because yeah, I think, you know... They should have done. They should have known, you know, they should have preempted strike, the, the strike demand. Up. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see as soon as the film came out, it's like, well, you've got a talented make and develop one. You can just fucking have it in, in, in the There's a Funko Pop bubble. There's a Funko Pop version as well. Yeah, so... Yeah, they're about twenty quid. They're not too bad actually. Well, they're, so, yeah, but they're basically about them like um, sunflower things you used to get. You just used to dance to the radio. Remember them? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly the same thing. Yeah, they were good fun, weren't they, years ago? In the eighties and nineties. They weren't that fun, but yeah. <laughs> well, no, but like, I, I, I remember like I think my back in our back in our day. A, a junk sale it's or something. Like that fucking fish thing on the wall. You know, it's like. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Billy Bay. David Brent oh, thought it was funny. That was it. Yeah. Okay. We can get those little things now that kind of move around, like they're solar, they're solar powered, aren't they? They just kind of sit on your windowsill and, and bob around. That's three office references, references in two episodes. <laughs> and one of them being the American Office. Don't know what's. Don't know we, what's need, we need to do another office show. <laughs> Final thoughts, folks. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty solidly written. The, the only thing apart from the end that I would, I would consider changing around is I always much preferred the idea of having swapping around the group sacrifice sacrificing himself and then uniting and destroying Ronan flipping your way around and have that be the thing that brings down the, the ship I thought that would have been a much better way of doing it because you would have had um, Groot involved in the Guardians dynamic it just felt a little bit like 
Oh well, they miss it. I don't know, but that's just a thought. But anyway, yeah, uh, Guardians. Yeah, then you then they could have said we're the Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. and we've got wood, bitch. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Missed opportunity there. It, it wrote yeah. itself. Anyway, yeah. So um, yeah. All yeah. the quality filth I come out with for film scripts normally, I'd be writing quite a lot of cheesy shit here by the look of it. <laughs> Dave, you need to write that film. Yeah, it's it's almost carry on standard, <laughs> but never mind. Uh, carry on, Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> yeah. So to cr- so to crack on, um, yeah, uh, it's 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 very very tightly. Um, very well constructed, very well made. Uh, it 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 just it's very enjoyable, uh, very funny. It, I just I was actually quite surprised how how well it actually holds up and how well it stands when you uh, analyse it. It it if, if well not everything but most things have a payoff, and that's not something you, you see sadly. Yes, I massively enjoyed this film. Um... It's not perfect, as we said. Our third act is leaves a bit more to be desired, and, and could be worded a little bit better and unordered a little bit better. Um, but you know, really strong performances, um, a crew, a, a cast that you don't really expect to see anything together all appear here for sure. Um, and that's kind of a fitting, like the ragtag nature of nature of the bunch. Um, but as I say, there was a lot riding on on this property being like a relatively unknown property in, in the Marvel universe, and I think the gamble really paid off. I think for that. That year, it was the highest-grossing film at the box office, 2014, I think. Um, if not, I'll go and check on boxofficemojo.com and have a little I look. I would be very surprised if it was for that year, but it might uh, have been, no, no, the, no, might no, have been no, at the North, North American box office. I don't know. Yeah, North American box office in terms of like the well, world, worldwide. Well. Worldwide, it did 773 million. That doesn't sound uh, like. Oh a, no, it's not, it's not massive. That's not but... that's not an overall topper, although that's great for first time out. In terms, yeah, in terms of like of a debut. And Marvel yeah. films for that year, for example. Yeah, um, absolutely. They really enjoyed this film. Had had a good time with it. Um, really hyped for the sequel for sure. To, to the highest grossing film at the worldwide box office this year was unfortunately Transformers: Age of Extinction. <laughs> That's yeah. what I think of that. It's fucking rubbish. Although I hear Bumblebee is quite good. So have I. Yeah, I've heard that. I might Michael, actually go and check that one out. Michael Bay's nowhere fucking near it. That might be why. Yeah. <laughs> It, it looks like something that has a genuine heart and soul. So. Yeah, whereas Age of Extinction was a film that I'm used to films being 20 minutes too long. I'm not used to films being over an hour too long. The film fucking ends and then they throw on another hour because of Chinese funding. It's fucking awful. Oh. And it's full of like statutory rape jokes and stuff. It's just no. t- tasteless and awful. Is that the... Um... Kelsey Grammer and Stanley Tucci are pretty good in it. Though. Oh, okay, that, that's the. Thing. I, I can't. Remember, I can't remember much about that one. Yeah, yeah I've only seen two of them. Yeah, the only reason I saw that one was a friend was off sick and just wanted to get out to the cinema and to, for something to do. Yeah. Um, he wanted to see it, so I said, "Yeah, absolutely." He, he wanted company, and I, I would again. You know, obviously, go and see something for a friend. That's absolutely fine, but it wasn't good. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking from the top down on Box Office Mojo. Basically, I've gone from Avatar down and stopped at the first one that says year of release 2014, and it's Transformers: Age of Extinction. So yeah, uh, it might have been. It might have been at the North American box office, of course, because Transformers films tend to do most of their money overseas. So it, it you know, the Transformers only did 245 million at the US box office, which isn't massive for for a yearly topper, anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the, 
I mean, the the Hobbit is the next one I could see, and that did two hundred and fifty five. And then the next one I can see with 2014 next to it. My eyes could easily skip over one, by the way, but this very unscientific quick rundown is Guardians of the Galaxy, and that did 333 at the US box office. So I think that's what you're referring to. It's the highest grossing at the US box office that year. Yeah, that's what I meant, sorry, in terms of the US box office. Excuse my squeaky chair, by the way. That's not that massive, to be fair, but yeah. Okay, obviously not a massive year in terms of grosses. Oh, no, actually, looking down a few further, Hunger Games Mockingjay... Oh, yeah, of course, Mockingjay, that was did, ...did a little bit more, like four million more at the box office in America, but less overall. But, yeah, it was one of the better performers... one of the highest grades. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's all right. It's not in your fun facts, so you're allowed to fuck this bit up. No, it's, it's right. not. Fun facts are obviously things Air people tight. rely on. Well, yeah, I figured, I figured rely David, on the you would talk about the box office, so, you know. Yeah. Okay, um, so, yeah. By and large, they're really, really positive about it, Becca. Yes, by and large, it's a thumbs up from me. Yeah, and it's a thumbs up from me as well. I mean, the, the thing with it is that, you know, I've, we've got through it very quickly. And that's really actually a sign of how tired it is because you talk about a scene and the relevant information in that scene got across to us very quickly and very easily. And it's quite a tight film with, with, with a very light structure to it. Even the things I've complained about, I mean, Act 3 is 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 still a very logical extension of everything that came before, that we were set up that they needed to go and do all this. We were set up that they would go and talk to the Nova Corps and all of the rest of it. The problem is that it, it, if it's real life, you care because it's real people and you've got normal human compassion. But mm. when you're trying to save an indeterminate number of people who don't exist and we have no names of, it, it doesn't really matter to me too much. But it's all structured really well. It all sounds very good. The casting is, is just absolutely perfect. Everybody is great in their roles. Uh, people I didn't think would work, like Batista, works great. And now I'm happy to watch him in anything, to be fair. Um, Almost wasted know. Inspector, wasn't he, really? Yeah, he was. Um, but, I, you know, even his opening scene in um, Blade Runner was was great you know it's like a really small performance as an older man um i think he's he's he will continue to have a decent career ahead i, I would hope anyway um you know you put a talking raccoon in it how well is that going to work well he's really funny you know i am Groot. is that going to work it works all of it works and they have great chemistry between them even though some of the actors are op- acting opposite things that aren't even there so very very high note for me the sad thing is that we got to the end of this year and i thought christ marvel will nail nail this now i can't wait to see age of ultron because they've really you know but never mind (laughs) (laughs) what can go wrong what could possibly go wrong you've got weed and back and they're coming off their strongest year ever they're going to go from strength to strength um as a studio they sort of have but this is the second half of a very very special year and i will rank this film third act problems aside accordingly i would agree and but i'm i'm feeling like i don't have that much knowledge on it dave yeah that's probably why we didn't talk for very long because it was like what do you think we're ill-informed shall we say we were ill-informed i think the problem is now with we're building towards you know the end of phase two I think people expect us to be experts, Chris. This isn't good enough. Yeah. But Becca, I... can you help? No. <laughs> good night, folks. <laughs> I sort of feel, I feel that we're missing... Obviously, this, 
the the soundtrack for this film is a huge part of it, and I feel like oh we yeah, need, true. We need to get Charlie on, but I'm sure I'm sure we'll cover that soon. Well, a bit like we now. <laughs> well, well, no, but when we come to you know do a future music episode, um, I'm sure we'll, we'll you know we'll get his input on on the series as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. Bear in mind, he's much more sort of a soundtrack, a score man than a soundtrack. Oh, of course, yeah, no, definitely. This is a selection of songs. Yes, it does have a score as well, but when anyone thinks of this film, they, they think of the songs. They're going to think of 10TC and Jackson 5 and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Absolutely. But yes, I've got some, a selection of fun facts about this film. Excellent. Fun fact number one, Dave Batista underwent five hours of makeup each day of his shoot to apply all the prosthetic tattoos and marks to his body. Um, to the degree that I was stunned when I actually saw him out of makeup, I had no idea he was that ethnicity and that eye colour. He didn't look in real life anything like I expected him to. He looks completely the, different. The head he? was the right shape, but that's not what I thought Dave Batista looked like. And then you see, obviously see him in, in, in um, Inspector, and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. but, and I think his character originally was kind of more green, but obviously we've got we've got Gamora, um, who is green, and also we've got Emily, and you've got the Hulk as well. So I think they tried to make him like a. Um, they, they altered the colour palette of it. Oh, oh yeah, altered the colour palette of, of his character. Um, <laughs> I was trying to think of a way to say that. Um, yeah, to kind of to you know to kind of um, make Gamora stand out more, um, and so you know we didn't get confused with characters like as the Hulk, for example. Um, yeah, so fun fact: obviously at the beginning of the film, we see him listening to to music via Walkman. The Sony TPS L2 was the first Walkman to be released by Sony um, in 1979 um, they originally called the Soundabout in America and then the Stowaway over here in the UK but obviously it's quite expensive to market items with various names across the globe um, so they decided to stick to the Walkman this could have been a reference to the Pressman which is like a mono cassette player uh, cassette recorder um, that, was, that was first released I think I had a Walkman at one point it was good fun yeah, a bit of personal insight there, listeners. <laughs> no, I remember having what I think it was. It was bright purple and it had bright green buttons. That sounds the... fucking awful. <laughs> the, the, it was the nineties, you know. The, the days of taping off the radio and taping off your CDs. Yeah, classic. Oh, I mean, I, and it, 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 really it, it, the top ten off the radio. Wow. Yeah, the good old days where you went out with eight fucking songs on you. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> It's not like now we can just like look at your phone and play literally uh, I anything. I am so not. I am so not the good old days when I was a kid. It was fucking boring and bollocks. Or well, for me, you've got my little nano third generation of eight gigs. So, mm, but all I listen to is podcasts these days anyway. So, yeah, me, me too. I tend not to listen to so much on my phone, even though I probably could. I'm still like, oh, I can't bear to leave my old technology behind. But facts that are fun and followed by personal experience and insights. <laughs> I'm making a mixtape, an awesome mix. You know, if, you, if you're a... When I was at school, you know, if you're in love with somebody, you make them a mixtape. There's a way to say, oh, I like you. So Yeah, I mean, you can't really make them, like, a playlist You can't really now. make a mix CD. Well, you can, but it's different <laughs> now. You can't really you can make, make somebody a playlist. You can't make them a playlist on Spotify and go, there you go. No, that takes the magic <laughs> out of it. Uh, hand, hand a loved one the service to Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. It's a, yeah, it's something that's kind of this generation won't. I, I, you know, I'm sure there's there's another way of doing it, but yeah, you know you're old when. <laughs> yeah, you know you're old when. Like, when you start saying, you know you're old when. 
And when you're nostalgic, and when you're old enough, when you start getting like so misty-eyed that you get nostalgic over utter shit. Yeah. Right, Karen, continue, Becca. Well, I don't... <laughs> in, in my day. I know. Yeah. Was, yeah. Remember when we had three channels and there was fuck all on them? <laughs> carry on, carry on. Well, Channel 5 came about in our lifetime. Channel 4 came around in mine. Yeah. And Chrissy's, technically, just about. But yeah, even we... then, that just brought, you know, countdown. Mid-80s, and then it's... Channel 5 again in 1999, 2000, in there somewhere, so... 97 it launched. It was a nice... Oh, of course it was 97, wasn't it, yeah. Anyway, fun fact number three. James Gunn's brother Sean provided the onset acting for the role of Rocket. Which is quite interesting, I think. Um, and there was a short actor as well um, to do the uh, in, in between puts. So the actual role of Rocket Raccoon is played by three actors. Fun fact number four. I would need to check on this. Um, but that doesn't sound research, like a it's... fact then, does it, Becca? I, no, I I'm, I'm sceptical, Chris. Hmm. <laughs> okay, go. But on. Yeah, this is this is yeah, it's off it's off a fan site, so I'm not quite sure. Um, film soundtrack was the first film soundtrack. Um, uh, no, that's definitely not true. There's no soundtracks <laughs> before this one. To actually make it to the top of the US Billboard charts, despite not having, you know, it was literally, or you know, despite not having like one original song on there. But I'm not quite sure how true that is. So fun but may not be a fact I, I i this is the only time i've ever wished this was a video podcast so that our listeners could see how skeptical i'm looking right now hmm? i'm doing a roger more eyebrow raise hmm? so my final fun fact number five the original 1969 guardians of the galaxy lineup are rocky rocky <laughs> and gamora and oh no Marcellus wait <laughs> wallace riddick bow sorry god <laughs> Don't forget the Queen. Oh dear. Um, Major Vance Astro from Earth. Martin X Naga uh, from Pute. Captain Charlie 27 from Jupiter. And Yondu Udonta from Centauri 4. And then obviously we see, we see them in an alternate lineup in the sequel. So yeah, that's my five fun, well, four and a half fun facts. Chris, did you immortalise that in recording for our listeners? It is immortalised forever. Yeah, because I thought we'd lost Chris then, and I thought we can't lose this. It's gold. <laughs> no, I'm still here. Don't not, only, not only that, that's fun, folks. That's so fun. <laughs> I just yeah, uh, it was Sorry. quite. It was a very authoritative till we got to fact four, and then and then I sensed terrible self doubt. Or was it five? Whichever one she got confused. But it was the last one, wasn't it? Yeah. I lost track. I was too busy assimilating the information. You too. You were too busy like reminiscing about your Walkman. Aha! Uh-huh. That's what it was. I was getting nostalgic for the good old days where you could get live from Her Majesty's with fucking Jimmy Tarbuck on a Sunday night. <laughs> fucking hell! Watch watch Tommy Cooper have a heart attack. It it was a lot simpler than having like three or four channels, though, wasn't it? You didn't have to like. It's simpler, but the problem is. Everything has to be aimed at everyone, so you get like a, a variety show. And the problem yeah. with the variety show is, firstly, it's got to be family friendly. So you get like a fucking comedian, but it's like Billy Pierce or something, right? And then he walks off, and it's I don't you know. Up, I don't you know who Billy Pierce is. Just a shit eighties comic. I could. Did, did he have a mullet? Think yeah. Think Joe Probably. Pasquale. Anything like that, right? 
But Joe Pasquale, I, I nearly said Joe Pasquale, but he's way too talented to be Billy Pierce, right? He's more memorable. Yeah. So, and then, and then they'd have some singer, and then they go to a commercial break, and when they come back, it's a juggler. <laughs> and it's like, who's this fucking aimed at? The, the irony is, though, in the day and age where we can literally access anything we want, really, like, yeah. we got all the channels in the world, we still flip, though. <sighs> no horn. <laughs> Yeah, literally, you're taking through all the channels. Even on fucking Netflix, right? You got, you got, you got a selection of all these films, all all these TV shows, a variety of all different genres, anything that could make anyone happy, and we still flip through. And go, I'm not sure what to watch. I can't make my mind up. You spend like well, good. <laughs> I want to know that I can watch literally tens of thousands of things before I quit and decide to watch I'm Alan Partridge again. <laughs> <laughs> and God bless Dave for that, eh? It's no, it's, it's, on, it's on Netflix. I think you meant the channel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Shares in me are not as uh, not as popular. Gone are the days with friends repeats on E4. Okay. No, that's on Netflix as well. Not for much longer. That's another thing I'm just not watching, but uh, it's there if I wanted to. <laughs> Which gives me great comfort. Should you feel the need before it disappears off Netflix, it's there. Social media, folks. Uh, you can follow me on Simatronics, even though I don't barely tweet anyway. Um, and you can find this podcast and all the all the backlog of episodes on Simatronics.co.uk. He might not tweet very often, but occasionally I see that he's like to tweet, and so that that's that's uh, that's something for you to enjoy, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you can see that, where Chris that, like, that, likes when someone that, had a nice that, day. That, that's like that's like more when I like go, oh, sh- oh sh-, when I'm scrolling and I've like accidentally pressed a like, and it's like, yeah. I can't be asked to redo it. <laughs> so... yeah. Yeah. Uh, it never used to appear in feeds. I do feel sorry for people who like, you know, some fucking really like porny fucking one, and then it comes up in your feed that they liked it. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I get that a lot. I think I had to mute somebody, and I was like, mm, sorry. You can find me at the Pasty Kid 1976 on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at Expect Us to Talk. You can drop us an email if you like. Expect Us to Talk at gmail.com. Um, we're on Facebook.com. Also, <laughs> if you search Do You Expect Us to Talk, we're also on YouTube. If you head over to YouTube and type in Do You Expect Us to Talk. And as Chris said, you can also find this amazing podcast on iTunes. If you type in Do You Expect Us to Talk. Um, also, if you're a listener already, if you like what you hear, please kindly bestow upon us a glowing five-star review. It helps us to rank higher in the listings and attract more lovely listeners. For the note, and also for the time being, we are still not on. You're just going to go and name every app you can think of we're not on now. <laughs> we're not on the fucking AA or... <laughs> not on Pinterest. We're not on... No. We're, not on Instagram. We're, we're on the ones that matter. We're still on Letterbox, but I haven't we're quite deleted the it just yet. Are, you know, social media, and you can actually like, and the ones where you can access the actual show. We haven't <laughs> got photos of our dinner anywhere or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should do that. Like when we all have dinner, just tweet a picture. Yeah. This is what we're eating this evening. This is the, this is the kind of creative input that we get. <laughs> I, I wonder if there's. Great. I wonder if there's a general market for this, like, like who would give a shit what I'm having for 
Yeah. Oh, Mackie's again. <laughs> yeah. Isn't isn't that what Instagram was for? Personally, I want to know if Jason Manzukis from How Did This Get Made has had a, any sort of uh, meat meat based pies recently. I think we should tweet him and well, find out. Well, well, right. we, well, we all know. It'll be like, uh, uh, what was it like a uh, blue kitchen thing? Yeah, blue, blue apron. It'd be like a bunch of that, basically. Oh yeah, because a lot of these places, like yeah, a lot of these podcasts are actually like sponsored, aren't they? So yeah. it'd be like yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, unless right. unless they call their line and they just like go, oh, I yeah, I get useful, it's delicious, and it's and it's bollocks. They don't even bother doing it. Mm. So that's we are about to come up towards the end of the last two uh, entries in phase two of Marvel, but we've got another break because we have an anniversary coming up. Forty years uh since the next film we're going to cover in our sort of sequential numbering anyway which means becca yes dave that means do you expect us to talk or return with our commentary of superman the movie 